The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Measured to Alexander Arnold. Liverpool on the move again. Deflected it! So Liverpool come from behind to win a Champions League game against AC Milan. Pretty familiar storyline, isn't it? On this Red Agenda Extra, we're going to look at match day one and also Klopp's need for rotation with his squad as well. Uh, James Pearce alongside myself, Steve Hothers. So we'll also check out James's piece on whatever happened to Loris Karius. Um, let's start with the Champions League. And I, I want to start with, with Jordan Henderson's goal. For me, I don't know about yourself, James, that was the moment of the night and the piece you've written on The Athletic which people should check out you put Gerard-esque for his, for his goal I think a lot of people immediately thought oh Olympiacos what a strike what a moment for the captain yeah brilliant I think when you when you when you think it, I think you have to go back to Ludogorets away in, in 2014 for his, his last Champions League goal so he will he will certainly feel that he was he was due one um, yeah a sensational strike and um you know, it's it's been interesting, isn't it? On the especially on the back of Fabino scoring at, at Leeds last weekend, and then Henderson delivering the uh, you know the decisive blow against Milan. You know, the goals from midfield have been an issue for Liverpool in recent years. So hopefully, you know, hopefully that bodes well for the uh, for the months ahead because you know it's it is an it is important that you you know you're not just reliant on the same old faces to come up with the goals. And um, yeah, it was. It was just one of those moments that I think everyone will remember for a long, long time because you could see what it meant to Jordan Henderson. Um, you know, he's had a, a pretty tough twelve months with, you know, especially with the groin surgery and having to fight back from that. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a real outpouring of emotion when that ball hit the net. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. The emotion that went round. You see it on his face. I mean, it was just it was phenomenal. Even from the main stand, and he he was facing that way. It was. It was almost like that was the culmination of an awful lot of things for him. Um, and obviously, it was an emotional night anyway, wasn't it, under, under the Anfield lights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was... It, it, I'd love to know what was going through his head as, during that celebration. You won, it, it crossed my mind whether a little bit of it was also you know, what he went through over the, the new contract in terms of the uncertainty there, that there was, you know, there was a good, good period in the summer where you know, clearly what was on the table... You know, it wasn't wasn't you know acceptable to him, and I think obviously after everything he's given the club over the last decade, um, you know that was probably a, a disappointment to him. You know, thankfully as we've talked about previously, you know Jurgen Klopp got involved and that was that was resolved. So I think you know for Jordan Henderson to just I think you know that moment 
not not that I think most people needed it, but maybe some just to just to remind them about what an elite midfielder he still is and how he can make you know game defining contributions. And he uh, yeah he, he certainly did that. And it was you know especially in the in, in the context of the the group as well. When you look at the other game finishing goalless, um, that was. You know, a, a really, really in, in, in important goal for Liverpool. It's, it's, it's put them in a, in a very strong position already in the group. Brilliant night, but obviously a night that had its blips as well. Um, let, let's start with team selection and the fact that Jurgen rotated things. And I don't think many of us going to the game or, or thinking about what was going to happen with that team would have nailed the 11 that Jurgen Klopp put out there. So... Virgil van Dijk not playing, and obviously afterwards Jurgen said, you know, we've got to look after him. But you're not thinking, and I don't think AC Milan are thinking that Liverpool aren't going to play Virgil van Dijk against us. No, 100%. I think, especially on the back of what Klopp had, had said the, the previous day in his press conference, which was, you know, this is the toughest group he's faced as Liverpool manager. You know, there are no gimmies. You know, it's it's going to be incredibly competitive from the first minute to the last minute and i think he was he was genuine when he said that um so yeah i think it was a it was a big surprise i, I thought if he was going to rest either of the two center backs it was more likely to be matip rather than rather than van dijk um, yeah given his injury record as well yeah yeah but then you you know i i think maybe maybe we may see matip given a breather at the at the weekend of course you know as, as well as canate waiting in the wings you've got nat phillips as well so he He's gone from one extreme to the other, really, hasn't he? Compared to what he was faced with for much of last season, and now you know he's got he's got five senior centre backs there. So um, yeah, I think it was a gamble. I think to to give Van Dijk the night off, and and obviously Sadio Mane and Thiago got a breather as well. Um, but it it paid off, and I think um, there's been a you know obviously a huge amount of talk and discussion about whether Liverpool do have sufficient depth. For this season, and I and I think the jury's still out on that. I don't think it would be wrong to make any sweeping judgments based on on one game. But um, that was the most pleasing thing for me: the fact that you know Joe Gomez came in ninety minutes under his belt. You know that you know you that was really important. You know, a massive step forward for him. You know, of course there was you know a little bit of rust at times, especially. You know, I, I think Liverpool undoubtedly wouldn't have conceded those two goals just before half time if Van Dijk had been out there. I think communication and organisation was an issue during those crazy few minutes. But um yeah, I'm sure Gomez will kick on from here. You know, great for Cater to get to get more minutes. Henderson as well, who hasn't you know, hadn't obviously started the game at at, at, at Leeds and, and then Divock Origi who um you know he that that was that was probably the the one individual I was probably most happy for on the night because you know he gets so much stick Divock Origi I think you know he um you know been written off so many times and um I, I thought for someone who's played very little football that was uh, that was a, a very impressive performance from him I mean he didn't have the option or the the ability to showcase himself many times last season Divock Origi and of course we spent a lot of the summer then talking about the fact that maybe he could be one of the make weights um one of the players that could leave the club but really interesting quote from Jurgen Klopp talking about the fact that no one really came in for with a proper offer for him. It got me thinking. What what is a proper offer for Divockery? Did no one at all even inquire about this player? In, inquiries, yes, but no no proper bids. I think what Klopp was referring to, and what by that you're talking, you know, 
12, 15 million pound minimum, I think Liverpool Liverpool would have been looking to do business at. Um, you know, when you when you look at his age and what he's what he's a achieved already you know I think it, it would have been crazy to have even thought about offloading him for less than that and um, yeah I thought, thought Klopp was very honest saying you know we expected him to leave we, we thought that offers would come in and that you know and that clearly Divock Origi would, would have the chance to go and be a regular starter somewhere else and that he would probably want to grasp that chance but um, and I, th- I think that was something that people missed a bit in the summer when you know, there was a lot of talk that you know we talked about it on on the on the podcast, didn't we? That Shakiri going was never going to lead to Liverpool just going and buying another attacker. We said, you know, I, I think it would take Origi to have to go as well for for there to be a real space there that Liverpool feel that they have to they have to fill. And um, you know, on the back of that, Origi probably got a lot of stick with people assuming, well, he's dragging his heels, he doesn't want to go, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, accept that he's going to have to maybe earn less money elsewhere. Um, but the reality was there was never ever a deal on the table that Liverpool would have even considered anyway. It wasn't Divock Origi, you know, dragging his heels. It was just the reality, I think, of the the COVID affected transfer market. And you know, and I know Klopp said obviously people don't watch enough football. He said I said I think that was probably a little bit tongue in cheek because um, you know you'd have had to have delved pretty deep to try and find footage of Divock Origi in the the second half of last season because you know he hadn't. You know, Wednesday night was his first start in all competitions since West Ham away in January. So, um, you know, by dropping so far down the pecking order last season, you know, it it meant he was almost out of sight, out of mind. I think for for a lot of clubs who would have been potentially in for him. Um, but you know, I I saw a lot of the things from Origi, you know, last night that that I think we've missed probably for you know eighteen months. It feels like you know the aggression. I thought he too often. When when he played last season, he was too passive. You know, he's a laid back guy, which I think you know can be a blessing in moments like when he's sweeping home that quickly taken corner from Trent Alexander Arnold against Barcelona. You know, ice cool under under big pressure. But there's other times when you know you almost want you know a, a rocket up his backside to get to get him going. And because you know with, with Divock Origi, the frustration is that you kind of know the qualities are there. Um, so yeah, that I, I thought I thought he put himself about. He, you know, he, he shut down. He pressed. He set the tone on that front. He forced mistakes. He linked play well. Um, and then there was you know a, an absolutely exquisite assist for Mo Salah early in the second half with that with that scoop pass. And um, yeah, I'm not surprised he was hampered by by cramp after an hour and obviously um, got a breather. But um, yeah, it was great. You know, he was. I, I think you know even. even even tweeting about how well he played, you know, I was inundated with people, you know, <laughs> either either abusing me or Divock Origi or both, um, because I think so many people have made up their minds about him and won't be budged from that. Um, but I think it was telling that, you know, 50-odd thousand people inside Anfield gave him a standing ovation when he walked off. And yes, part of that is because what he's done for the club previously, he'll always be adored because of those iconic goals. But I think it was also, you know, fans wanting to show their appreciation for the fact that someone who's been through a really tough period, because, you know, he won't have enjoyed being stuck on the periphery, not even making the bench for the last three games. Um, but, you know, when the, when the, when his chance came along, uh, you know, I, 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 it felt like, do you know what? You know, Divock Origi, he's rekindled his Liverpool career a few times previously. And um, if he keeps on that vein, he'll do so again. 
I just worry that, and you called it a gamble with the team selection. I just worry that there aren't too many match days. I don't just mean Champions League. I mean Premier League. League Cup is probably where we'd see it, where actually Jürgen can gamble with the team. There aren't really many of those where Divock is going to get that opportunity from uh, minute one. Am I unfair saying that? No, no, no. I think that's that's fair. But I think what what you want is you want to you want to have that reassurance, and I'm sure Klopp does as well. That that when when he does need to turn to him, that the drop off in quality compared to the players ahead of him in the pecking order, that that, that drop off is not too vast. And I think that was the problem last season. That when when Origi did come on. He, he wasn't able to affect games. He wasn't able to, to make a contribution. He was a bit of a passenger. And then that obviously, then the alarm bells are ringing where you think, well, hang on a minute. You know, it's Liverpool have already lost Firmino for a few weeks to a hamstring injury this season. You know, uh, you know imagine if they lost another one of the attackers. You know, Minamino, jury's still very much out on him after, you know, a mixed loan spell at Southampton in the second half of last season. You know, hasn't, hasn't featured since he's come back this time around. So, um yeah, I think you know, it, no one no one expects Divock Origi to start twenty odd games this season. You just you just need him to be, you know, an an impact sub really. He's got to be and, ready, hasn't he? He's got to be yeah, ready to be involved. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, an impact sub, someone who who's there when you know potentially you know it, it, you know Jota, you know maybe when he needs a, a breather. You just want that belief that you can. You can rotate, and there isn't too much of a a, 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 a drop in in the the class levels. And um, yeah, the, you know the the reality is that when Origi performs like he, he he did last night, you know he is a very very good fifth choice attacker, which is which is essentially his role in that squad behind you know Salamani, Firmino, and Jota. You know. It, it's you know it's there it's all there he's got you know when you look at him physically and you know and and you know what a fantastic athlete he is and you know he that that that's the frustration that you almost know it's there you just want to see it more often for Marigi. I thought Jota's work rate was exceptional last night, absolutely unbelievable. But for me, the the man who stood out more than anyone was Fabinho, who. You know, man of the match against Leeds just seems to have this ability to keep going up another level all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You almost run out of superlatives to describe Fabinho. I don't, I don't think there's anyone who comes close to him in terms of, you know, I'd say not just in the Premier League, but in in European football in terms of that 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 role in in front of the the back four as a defensive shield. And you know, again, I I just thought he. You know, he was so crucial to you know breaking up those attacks. You know, he just reads the game so well, always in the right place, and always uses the ball wisely, and um, and keeps Liverpool on the on on the front foot. And um, you know, Klopp said himself when Liverpool lost their way towards the back end of that first half, it was you know they almost you know because the back line dropped too deep, they they just left. It was almost like. You know they left Fabino with you know he's he's incredible but you know come on you you know you can't you can't give him that that amount of space to to try and cover, um but uh, but yeah I thought there was you know, I thought I thought there was loads of loads of positives on on the night with you know I thought Cater probably tired a bit but I thought Cater was a really good first half, um you know Henderson probably after a bit of a slow start to the season you know getting back to the levels that we that we all know and expect and. 
No, and Curtis Jones, I thought, um, very lively when he came on for the last 20 minutes, making his first appearance of the season. And, you know, probably with the rise of Harvey Elliott and, and all the, the hype around him, you know, probably Curtis has been overlooked a little bit. Um, but I think, you know, that was a, a timely reminder from him that, that he, you know, he will have a big part to play as well. I love Klopp's explanation on on Liverpool losing their way. He he almost said that happened because they were playing too well, which I thought was brilliant, isn't it? It sort of contradicts itself, but it's it's true in a way. A bit before you knew it, Liverpool were behind after two absolutely insane minutes, and I suppose credit to AC Milan as well. You know that the first they finished the move properly, but there there was some concern about the space between Matip and Trent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I I think we've seen it many times before, haven't we, where it's a game's almost so one-sided that the team in the in the ascendancy just clocks off. It's almost like it, it, it felt like it was almost too easy. It was like, you, you know, you get the early goal. I mean, I, I saw some crazy stat that Liverpool had 13 attempts on goal in the first 15 minutes. And, you know, and then you had Mo Salah, you know, I, I blame Kiva O'Neill for that missed penalty, having done an extensive <laughs> piece on uh, an hour. He never misses, stretching back four years and then um, yeah. 17 in a row bites the dust. No, it was, um, but even that, you know, I think no one inside Amford at that point thought, oh, it's not going to make any difference, this, this missed penalty, because it's like the Alamo, this. It's just wave after wave. And, you know, an AC Milan, you know, they aren't, it's, it's great to see AC Milan back at, uh, you know, at, in, at, at the Champions League table and competing with Europe's elite again. But they're not, they're not anything like the AC Milan of old, are they? You know, it's a very youthful team. And, and I think certainly in that opening 30, 35 minutes, I think they were intimidated by their surroundings because, the, you know, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. Um, you know, I think everyone was desperate to, to make up for lost time, having, you know, what was it been, probably 18 months since we had a European night under the lights at Anfield. Um so, uh, so yeah, I think it was, it was almost like that. You know, it's, it's going to happen. Liverpool will just get the second, the third, probably a fourth, and just blow Milan away. They hadn't been troubled, and then, yeah, lapses in concentration. Um, yeah, and, and like like I said before, I just don't think they happen when you've got Van Dijk out there. But it's been a long time since Gomez and Matip played together, and um, yeah, there was, you know, of, of course you could pick pick major holes in the in you know runners not being tracked and um you know pretty, pretty shambolic the the two goals liverpool conceded but um you know I, I think what what really impressed me was the fact there was no hangover from that from absolute minute 1 of the second half they were at right bang on it and you could see that klopp had, had clearly addressed those tactical issues during the break um and i never really felt the outcome was any doubt after that i think um you know, once Salah got Liverpool back level, it was you know it was just a case of when that winning goal was 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 going to arrive. Yeah, mentality, attitude was absolutely spot on. Just going back to the the missed penalty, it was a bit crazy really because I I thought the the AC Milan keeper had displayed himself as something of a loose cannon <laughs> up to up to that point. So I don't think anyone in the ground was thinking he's going to save this against Mo who. It was superhuman, and then shows that he's actually just human with that. It was a terrific save. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Salah went for went for power, didn't he? I think as opposed to to placement. And um, yeah, the keeper keeper guessed right. Credit to him, and he was very alert then to to deny. I think it was Jota, wasn't it, with the flying header from the from the follow up. So, um, but no, I, I think it was important for Salah the fact that 
you know, then then he went on and and, and scored and and contributed to to a crucial win because you, you know you wouldn't you know you would you wouldn't want that that penalty missed to it to impact on his 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 mentality or belief in any way. So um, so no, it was um, yeah, it was there was so much to admire about that performance. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too hard on them for those crazy few minutes before before half time. I was it was it was just great to see how they regain their composure and. And, and and got back, you know, right, right in AC Milan's faces again in that in that second half. And we, and we spoke about Jordan's response to his goal, and actually at the end of the match, you know, smile like the Mersey on his face. But also the emotion was coming out of Jurgen Klopp, and he went back to the old trademark fist pump at the end. Very, very indicative, I think, of what the win meant to him, the attitude, but also the competition and nights like that at Anfield. Yeah, I, I think you know we talk about how much fans of have missed that and what a void it's left in their lives. It's certainly left a huge void in, in Klopp's life as well. I think, um, you know, he, he talked about being lonely, didn't he? Or feeling lonely. I think it was actually when Crystal Palace came to town in his first season with fans leaving early. And I think it's fair to say he felt pretty lonely at Anfield for most of last season when um, when week after week you're walking out in front of empty stands. Because I think... You know, and it became almost you know other rival fans kind of scoffed at it a bit. This idea that oh, you know, Liverpool are, are suffering from behind closed doors games more than most, but it, it was true because anyone who has seen Liverpool under Klopp and has seen the success that they've enjoyed, they know it, it's a very emotional brand of football. It's you know, it, it, you know, a key part of it is is the way that you know the players feed off the energy from the stands and and vice versa. And you know, when you don't have that. I just don't think you know Liverpool could could ever be the same force, and um, you know, and, and of course, then when you throw into the hat an unprecedented injury crisis, um, you know, it was there were some pretty grim struggles for for Klopp last season, and you know, he certainly had to dig deep himself to you know to ensure that Liverpool still salvaged something from such a troubled season with with Champions League qualification. So yeah, you could see how much he loved that because that was. There's also no doubt that that game. Can you imagine that game in front of you know fifty odd thousand empty seats? It just wouldn't have been the no, spectacle that we saw. It doesn't happen, does it? Like that? No, no, no. The the tempo and the intensity that Liverpool hit Milan with, you just can't replicate that in in you know without without supporters without that soundtrack. So um, yeah, I, I think you could tell Klopp was absolutely buzzing off that. I mean, it was it was a great moment when the cameras captured where. Thiago was just about to come on when when Henderson scored and Klopp's celebration was basically to lift Thiago off his feet for a few seconds <laughs> and um, yeah so Klopp back to throwing fist pumps in front of the cop and I think as well also he knows in the context of the group that's a big win because you know he was talking afterwards about you know really AC Milan pot four is that you know is that really what we've been given from pot four because you know usually from pot four you're you're talking about, you know, a, a you know a European minnow that's just just happy to to be in the competition, and um, I I think despite you know that, yes they were a bit naive at times Milan, but I think they will cause problems for for Porto and Atletico. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that will prove to be you know a very val- valuable three points, and I think that was that was another reason why Klopp was so animated after. Also, that, that lovely moment where the ball had gone a bit flat on the pitch, it's rolled to Klopp. And I'm thinking, what what are the manager then turns round and throws the ball into the crowd? But he actually enjoyed doing it. And of course, it led to a bit of a mad scramble. That every, it's like when you go to see a concert and they, they throw something you know, off the stage. 
it was brilliant. Just a way of connecting with the crowd, the audience. But he, he enjoys that as much as the, as the crowd do. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know, you know, again, it's a, it's about seeing the crowd as such a, a key component. It's not it, it, for Klopp. It's not like they're not an audience that are just there to be entertained. It's like no, 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 no. If you're if you're coming along to a game at Anfield, you've actually got a part to play in the outcome. Um, you know, you you can influence this result. You know, you don't just you know at some clubs we won't name any. You you do get you know a lot of fans who are who are there you know to, to just to sample the occasion and take photos and 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 sit back in in silence. But that is that's not what Klopp wants from any Liverpool supporter. And yeah, that that kind of engagement is 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 typical of the of the way that he sees the fans as absolutely integral. Shout out to the uh, the AC Milan fashion director who had uh, Stefano Pioli in his suit with white white traders and in fact a few of them on it's it's not going to catch on on Merseyside. I've seen you wearing that now in Heswell suit. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Right, check James's piece out on that. It's uh, it's on the Athletic right now, but also uh, a piece he's written on Loris Carius, Liverpool's fourth choice keeper. It's barely believable the the story, and, and I think the piece is essentially unfortunate or his own worst enemy. Obviously, the low of Kiev proved a, a step he could never come back from. What has he just been unfortunate when you've deep dived into this? Is he just is he a really good keeper or something? Critically gone wrong here on the journey for him. <laughs> Do you know what it was? It, it, you know, it's it's such a sad story more than anything. And you know, it's when you when you think about where he was. At, you know, I think he was he was still only twenty two when he he made that move from Mines to to Liverpool and and you know and then to find yourself playing in the Champions League final. You know, the absolute pinnacle for any professional at such a at such a young age. And um, you know, and I think off the back of what happened in Kiev and, um, you know, and of course the debate will rumble on, you know, to what degree was he affected by that elbow from you know, Sergio Ramos and, um, you know, all we, all we know for certain is that, you know, medical professionals in, in Boston were absolutely adamant that, that he, that he, he had been concussed. Um, but I think the, you know, the sad thing is he hasn't been able to leave that behind that it's, you know, what is it, you know, getting on for three and a half years on and, and, Sadly, he is still defined by that night. You know, it was, um, and you know, I think you know, I spoke to a lot of people in, you know, in in Germany and in Turkey, and and people at Liverpool as well, ex teammates, current teammates, and and it's. I think there's a. I think there's a whole range of factors. I don't think. I don't think there's any one particular explanation for why Carius's career has has gone the way it has done. Um, I think there is definitely a. You know, a large degree of misfortune when, you know, th- things like you know, certainly I think he was unfairly treated at Besiktas, where yes, he he made some you know glaring mistakes at times, but he also you know put in some very good performances for them. But I think you know they didn't want to keep him, and I think they they were keen to try and create a situation where it was almost like you know keep, keeping him was no longer an option because you know that. If if he'd played a certain number of games and 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 they'd been you know particularly successful, they would have been obligated to buy him for seven point two five million pounds. And um, you know, I, I, you know, they they did not want 
you know that you know that kind of that financial commitment and you know you had a situation where he wasn't even paid for three or four months and that that's bound to impact on a player's you know kind of you know the, the your, your mindset and everything else so you know two years in Turkey that you know that in the end he ended up cancelling the loan and you know back to square one and then of course you know he went to Union Berlin a year ago and and you think well that's perfect for him you know you know, new to the Bundesliga, you know, it's, you know, a lot less, you know, scrutiny, but he, he couldn't even get a game. You know, I think he, he I think he, he made four Bundesliga appearances um, in total. You know, it was, but again, you speak to people there and they say, well, the, the coaching staff never said anything critical of him. He trained well, um, but, you know, it, for whatever, you know, he, he joined after the other keeper, um, Luther, I think his name is, who'd, who'd, uh, who'd already, you know, basically impressed the manager so then he had to be patient, um, but it was you know it's you just think how does this happen? How do you go from starting a Champions League final to being second choice behind a free transfer from Augsburg, you know a, a few years later? And of course you know Union Berlin didn't want to keep him. So then you had a situation this summer where Bar he could have gone to Basel this summer, um, but you know Liverpool were prepared to do that deal, but Carriers couldn't agree personal terms. Basel came back and said. You know, well, what about a loan? But Carius wasn't prepared to sacrifice a small chunk of his salary, which you know, again, anyone I spoke it's to, understandable, James, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, not. I don't know too many people that would would happily take a new job with less money, um, and I don't see why football should should be treated any differently than other professions. So I can I can understand that. The only the only thing I would say, the caveat to that is, Carius is a free agent next summer, um, and. I just think, in the grand scheme of things, I'm surprised that he he wasn't advised or he didn't decide himself. Do you know what? You know, Basel. I could go to Basel this this season. Yes, I might earn less money in the short term, but you know, it's it's a chance to be a number one. It's a chance to rekindle a career that's gone alarmingly off track. Because you know, the reality is, by staying at Liverpool, he isn't going to play any football between now and January. You know, and and so then you know, then you're in a situation then when he's played what four games in eighteen months or something stupid, um, and and then that obviously massively reduces his chances of getting any decent decent offers next summer when he is a free agent. So um, so yeah, I think you know he's obviously he's had you know it's been kind of well documented that he's had issues in his private life as well. Um, you know, it's been some some have suggested that maybe he's lost a bit of focus on the back of that. Um, and I think the other thing with Carrius that you know, kind of when you judge him, you when you when you try and work out how far he's fallen, you, you like I think it depends how how high you think he reached in the first place because you know I, I think you know what you have to be honest about is there were serious doubts about Carrius before Kiev. It wasn't like we're talking about an Allison type commanding figure who then had a meltdown in, in Kiev. It was, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think back to both legs against Roma when, you know, there was, there was glaring errors then, um, you know, even back to the nerves in his first season at Liverpool when, you know, I don't know if you remember, Steve, that game against Sunderland at Anfield when he took a goal kick and knocked it straight out for a corner. Yes. You know, I don't, yeah. I've, never, I've never seen that anywhere at any level of football, either before or since. So, um, you know, I, I think he did struggle with the pressure and expectation of life at Liverpool long before Kiev. Um, and one of his old coaches at Mines said to me, he thinks in the grand scheme of things, 
it was a big mistake leaving Mainz so young that he would have been much better off staying put for another year or two in in surroundings that were a lot you know more forgiving. Um, you know, I think there was a quote from Carius I found where he said, you know, when he was at Mainz, if you made a mistake, you know, people would come up to you afterwards and say, you know, well, never mind, you know, just put it right next week. And of course, compare that to, you know, the the reaction when, you know, I think back to the error he made that cost Liverpool the game at Bournemouth away. And, you know, it's it's just so it different. It lives with it? you, doesn't it, at Liverpool? Yeah, it yeah, never, yeah. It never goes away. You know, and it's, you know, it's on every radio, you know, it's on every sport radio station. It's picked to pieces on, you know, on on Sky and BT and, you know, by people like us on podcasts. And and so it's, you know, you, you only, you know, you need to be a certain person, I think, to be able to handle all of that scrutiny. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a real, it's a real shame compared to, you know, where he was at to, to, to where, where he's at now, which is essentially, you know, he's had a shoulder injury where Liverpool now have let him spend some time back home in Berlin. I think he's due back, shortly um but yeah there's no no hope of him clambering above either Kelleher or, or Adrian in terms of the backup to to Allison you've got to remember how highly he was rated but but also as well the pain he suffered actually led to Liverpool signing Allison without whom they don't win the Premier League and the Champions League so actually that bizarrely his misery has contributed to, to Liverpool's success in the in the years that followed. Um, look, we'll move away from him to Harvey Elliott. We'll finish the pod on on this one. There's a chance, but it, it's an outside chance, isn't it, that, that Harvey actually plays some competitive football at the end of this season. But having had the surgery on his ankle, I would imagine being told that you might play at the end of the season is an absolute psychological winner for the youngster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, the... The people I've spoken to, they they do. I don't get the impression that's just like a carrot being dangled to, to try and try and spur him on with his rehab. I I, I think there is a, you know, a, a genuine confidence that that he can play again before before the end of the season. I know Liverpool said they weren't they weren't going to put a time scale on it because I think you know obviously all rehabs are different and they don't know you know you know all the different stages and all the boxes that need to be ticked along the way. But I think you know when when you look at players who have suffered similar injuries you know Andre Gomez was probably uh, you know at one end of the scale the fact that he was back playing within four months wasn't he which is you know crazy um you know probably more realistically five or six months so you know we, we could be looking at you know March um April at, at maybe you know when when Harvey Elliott is is back playing so um yeah he's I know I think he's he's conducted himself amazingly well when you think to handle to handle that heartache from from being, you know, brought down to earth in such a brutal fashion, from you know from living his dream and you know be establishing himself in this Liverpool team, um, you know to to see what he's been putting on social media and you know even even the way that he's you know you know been been even claiming that the you know the Leeds defender was you know should have had his red red card overturned and. You know, it was an accident. You know, you know, no, no, no hint of malice or anything on it on his part. You know, thanking the supporters and his teammates and the staff for for all their support that they've shown him. So, um, so yeah, I think if there's one thing we know about Harvey Elliott with the way that he's conducted himself so far at Liverpool, we know that he will be absolutely one hundred percent committed to everything the medics and the sports science guys tell him to do and. And that will enable him to, 
I'm sure, to get back, you know, probably a lot quicker than many people are expecting. Get well soon, Harvey. We can't wait to see you play again. My thanks to James Pierce. That was the Red Agenda Extra. And um, I hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back with uh, another Red Agenda on Monday after another weekend's action. Liverpool against uh, Crystal Palace. So a quick skip back to the Premier League. Fingers crossed for a great, great result. Uh, and hopefully you'll take a listen to us then. See you then. Bye-bye.